Hello and welcome to I Want What She Has, your weekly antidote to the patriarchy, amplifying women's voices and their stories. I'm your host, Teresa Widman, and on today's show, I am going to be sharing a really lovely conversation I had with New York-based sound healing artist, Lisa Marie Darling. Uh, Lisa crafts meditational soundscapes to foster emotional and energetic reconnection. Through acapella vocalization and experimental looped melody formation, she creates otherworldly compositions to aid in identifying and unlocking fossilized trauma and grief. To date, she has released three albums, Darling Lullabies in 2014, Canciones de Cuna in 2017, and Into the Deep in 2022, her latest. It is an album which presents a guided journey through inner emotional landscapes, integrating the vital healing energies of the celestial bodies of Earth, Sedna, Venus, Saturn, Mercury, and the moons of Mars, Jupiter, and Neptune. Listeners will be led into a calming space where surrender, meditation, reflection, and contemplation feel safe, possible, and sacred. I will share this now, even though we talk about it a little bit later on in our conversation. Lisa wasn't able to join live on today's show, so we recorded our conversation last week, and that's what you'll get to hear today. But if you would like to find her work and connect with it to experience it firsthand, you can join her live stream Soundscape Journey events via the Free Insight Timer Meditation app which I have never used, but I've heard a lot of people say very good things about it. You can also find her music on Spotify, Bandcamp, SoundCloud, and YouTube, or by following her on Instagram and TikTok. So um, I will let you listen to our conversation, and I'll share a little bit more about Lisa once we're done towards the ends of the show. So without further ado, here is Lisa. Well, thank you, Lisa, so much for making the time to sit down and talk to me. And I'll just give a shout out to Megan Offner, who was the person who introduced me to your beautiful work. And um, Megan of New York Heartwoods, she's been on the show in the past. Uh, And when she mentioned your work, you know, I went to your website and I just really fell in love with everything. And, but I, that's what I know, right. From what I've seen on your website. So I'm excited to, to get to know you more and get to know more about your work. Cool. So I kind of would like to just learn about how this became something that you do. How did you come into the sound work? What's your background? Yeah. Well, I would also just like to say Thank you so much, first of all, for having me on your show. It's an incredible experience and an honor for me. So um, when I got your email, it actually made me tear up a little bit. So I'm just really, really appreciative for the connection. Um, I... um, the answer is not so easy, um, but there are four, I would say, I, I thought about this, kind of major factors that played a role in the direction of um, where I, ha- the work that I've become involved in. And um, 
The first is that I would say throughout my life, I'm, I'm just prone to having mystical tendencies and experiences that um, became so common. Um, you know, the experience of having not practical, not rational at all experiences um, that happened enough um, kind of told me that, like, this isn't something I should dismiss and um, that accepting it and understanding it and potentially working with it eventually um, could be quite important to my growth and my spiritual needs. So that's that's been a pretty significant factor. Um, I would also say um, as a singer, I grew up not really having an authentic outlet that felt that really resonated with who I was and um, that felt like it was a real connection. Um, and I grew up in uh, Fort Wayne, Indiana. So um, my the exposure to genres was quite limited um, beyond what, you know, really was more pop singing. And um, I felt like you know, I didn't want to be a country singer, <laughs> so which is really the only genre that my vocals sort of sounded like it could work with. Interesting. Um, yeah, and and um, I I tried, you know, but it just never stuck. And I'm also not a songwriter. I'm not really one who likes to arrange words and play with words. So non non word songs ended up being my route. And mm -hmm. if you would have told me that that would have been my path 20 years ago, I'd have been like, how is that going to work? How do you write non-word songs? So, you know, um, there was just an uneasy, like a dis-ease or incomplete feeling not having that outlet. And then um, I had two quite personal um, experiences that I, you know, kind of, deliberated on how to how to navigate this in the conversation but I really wanted this to be authentic and um, to show up expressing you know vulnerability and truth and so I decided to 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 include it um, I am a survivor of trauma um, I have experienced trauma in the womb and I also experience complex post-traumatic stress uh, throughout childhood and adolescence. And I believe that that lack of safety, that lack of feeling safe in my experience um, led me to explore healing modalities for answers and truth and clarity and understanding. And um, I also had the experience of um, feeling dis-ease or discomfort from being separated from my paternal family uh, since childhood. Um, and not having that influence, I feel, was pretty impactful to me in this state of feeling incomplete because I was, I'm very similar in nature to my father, like twinsies kind of vibes and like um shockingly similar um in my paternal side they're creatives they're painters and singers and multi-instrumentalists dancers 
And I wasn't exposed to any of that um, throughout my life on my maternal side. So it um, played a big role in this sort of just, um, there's like a hole like that I just knew. I didn't know. It was very subconscious, um, but it just was there. Um, and so I would say those four components um, were the biggest factors that led me to go down this path. At what point did you know that the whole related to your paternal, that kind of absence of the paternal side um, was something that needed healing? Mm, it was just uh, blatantly put into my face because I reunited with my father after 36 years and I learned that he was dying. And so I had six months with him. And while it was one of the most nourishing experiences that I could have ever imagined in a returning to self that couldn't be addressed by any other influence. It was also one of the most devastating emotionally um, to experience. And, and I think um, that, you know, there was the loss that I had of, you know, having to um, be to witness my father deteriorate. Um, But then also, you know, he I wasn't able to be with him when he died. I escorted him to Iran, but had to say goodbye to him at the gate in Germany. Um, I wasn't allowed to be by his side when he died, and I had to just move on with my life. He was just gone again. Mm-hmm. And it was like, you know, the double double whammy. It felt like I lost him twice. And so I the the pain was insurmountable. It was unhinging. And I had to face it. Yeah. Yeah. I, there was, I, I was debilitated. And I also had moved to a new city and um, lost my job at the same time. Oh, wow. This was happening. So it was kind of like a pretty big, like, you know, tower card moment. <laughs> I, I really now out of awkwardness, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I really appreciate you sharing that. It, it's, it sounds like it, it could be a subject of an entire conversation. So I won't keep, you know, going into it, but I appreciate you sharing that as part of your background. Yeah. Um, and so d- would you say that the, uh, the sound work that you do was part of a healing for you related to your father? Yeah. I mean, it took what I was doing already and transformed it into, um, a different practice altogether, but because I had, um, I had just simultaneously finished, finished a nine month intensive sound healing course, uh, actually while I had reunited with him. So it felt all very synchronized and very supportive because I had just, was just on the tail end of that course. I felt very rooted and grounded in the work of sound healing And I felt an easy, I would say, leap to um, this vocal exploration that turned into soundscapes that I didn't 
have or did not exist prior to this experience with my dad. Um, just because um, there's a curiosity there, and I kind of, we, we blew through it a little bit, but I'm imagining that listeners might be curious about it, and you don't have to share this if you don't want to, but when you talk about the mystical experiences that you had, are there things that you feel comfortable sharing that had an impact on you? Yeah, um, I mean, there's certainly things that I, you know, like I have, I just don't want to sound so kooky, but um, <laughs> I've got know. plenty of kooky things on this show regularly, so sure. don't worry. <laughs> that does make me feel better. Um, you know, and I think um, a lot of people do have kooky experiences that they just don't talk about because it's because of that sort of label, you know? So I guess if in that vein, I'll, I'll share a little bit. Um, um, but I have memories before the womb. Um, I have memories in the womb. I have, uh, I remember being passed around at my baptism at four months old. Um, I, I do feel that I have and continue to foster and build the muscle of communication with other realms. Um, and then there's just a series of events that happened in my life that were so almost just divinely orchestrated that you just can't, you know, if it were just some rational kind of like, you know, what is it, left-brained world, it like this wouldn't, those things wouldn't happen. And they're, you know, a, a series just of things that I, I, I couldn't believe manifested or came to, came to be. So I hope that, um, yeah, I think it's interesting uh, sometimes to watch, like speaking of that, sometimes to watch the themes that emerge on my show mm. without, any intention whatsoever and I had um, two weeks ago talked about um, I had gone to a workshop with uh, a woman who studies immaculate conception but a lot of her work now is about like womb healing and the power of the womb to heal and so we had been talking about that and then last week I was visiting with the women from Circle Creative Collective who have this whole creative event happening that is about rebirth. And we were talking about how it's different than actual rebirthing practices, right? Where people will go into that state of mind of trying to remember their experiences in the womb and, and their their rebirthing is more of a, how do you step into conscious living? But it, it started us on the conversation. I just did a rebirthing class at the yoga house. And so it's just interesting how these themes come together. And to me, that's like a mystical experience, you know, somehow they're, they just flow to me and I get to, you know, share them with the world. Yeah. So, but, but related, <laughs> related to that. Because I don't have memories. I, you know, I honestly don't, I can't even think of 
what my earliest memory would be. I don't have clear memories. I mean, I don't even have clear memories of my 20s. So I don't know what that means, but they're... I also have very blocked parts of my life too. So Okay. Mm-hmm. But I'd be interested to know how and when, like how did you know that these memories were related to your time in the womb, um, pre-womb, and um, anything that you feel comfortable sharing about them, right? Like when did they come and, and how did you know what they were about? So... It's interesting because they always, I I remember having them when I was little, but that's all they felt like. They felt like just maybe being little and like not having relevance. And I, and I, I had already experienced so much self erasure that I, it was easy for me to dismiss, you know, and not really um, give credit to. And then as I started to, you know, as I got older and I started to explore these different healing modalities and I thought, let's explore that a little bit. Like, what if that was true? And then I would just give myself time to sit in it. And then after I did that, I, it's almost like it, I was transported back to that experience. And then I remembered things like, whoa, I remembered light coming through the skin of my mother's stomach, you know. Whoa, I remember warbly sounds coming from whatever was happening on the other side, you know. And when I started to give myself permission to validate those experiences, that's when I started to, the memories became more clear, And, um, you know, the memory before, I cannot believe I'm saying this on a radio show. Um, the memory before I came into the womb was like, I explored that a little bit. And, you know, what I remember is not much, but I recall being with a few other beings besides myself. And it was as if, like, there was, like, a, a launch party or some, you know, for lack of a better term. But we were excited. And it was, okay, you know, she's going in or, you know, whatever I was at that time. And I just remember it being a very positive, uplifting experience. And I came in on what felt like um, a huge slide. Wow. <laughs> and, um, and then, like, dense thud of Mm. the human experience Mm -hmm. and I don't remember much after that except for being like this is not what I thought this was going to be like that I I know that there was such a vast difference in lightness and denseness um and density um in that transition. And, um, then I think the next memory I had was the, the sort of the sounds that were coming through. Mm -hmm. So, 
Um, I don't know. It's interesting the way you describe it. Did you see the Disney movie Soul? Is that what it was called? I did see that. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like that's exactly you how know, they. There are some aspects of it that you look at these Disney shows or any, you know, some magical you know, cartoon or whatever animated show and you think someone's tapped into something, right. you know? <laughs> it's really how did they do that? You know, <laughs> I, I know there's elements of it that really um, are relatable. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's such a, I, I, when I, not to, I keep referring to myself, but when uh, I was in college, I remember writing a paper about souls coming into, out of a garden mm. and like an Edmund Spencer the fairy queen i think they had like the garden of souls or something i don't remember all the details but i was i've been obsessed with just understanding it because i don't have a clear awareness of my past as i said um and then it's like my logical mind wants to make mathematic sense of everything Mm -hmm. like if there's all these souls and then you know, how do a population keeps growing and growing. So where do these souls come from? Like, it's just, I can't like reconcile everything. I don't know why my brain wants to go there, but I did study law. So there's that part of me as well. Um, so it's, I'm always just interested in there's this. probably actually answers to it. Yeah. You know, I mean, I would say that the curiosity does, you know, lead somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I thank you for sharing that on the radio for everyone in the world to hear. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's true. I'm just going to be the kook. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about the work. So you had said that you know, after the experience with your father, how it led to this other kind of sound creation. But what did you start out doing? What were you doing before that? Yeah, so I was, um, prior to the soundscapes, I was um, uh, doing acapella lullaby recording. And um, that came from my childhood. Uh, My maternal grandparents um, had this small collection of songs that they always sang. You know, they they were teenagers in World War II in Wales. And so the collection included war songs and a few love songs. And they were always sung a cappella without accompaniment. And we just sort of, you know, they stuck with us. They... Um, they just carried on for years. And when I was a teenager, my friends always asked me to sing the songs. And um, it became, I was terrified to sing in front of them. I was um, very, very scared to be seen individual. And the act of singing was, was torturous for me. Um, but they persisted and insisted and it became somewhat of a ritual. And even when they had children, they were asking me to sing these songs. So what I found magical about it was though, despite, you know, it being this incredibly 
triggering experience for me. I knew something about the acapella singing. Um, it was like I was being nudged to pay attention and that there was this sacred magical truth that was existing in the space and I couldn't deny it. I just didn't know what to do with it. It was like discovering a treasure and not having a clue of how to use it or, or work with it. And so I kept recording the lullabies and I, as we moved away, I would send them to my friends over email. And eventually I thought of maybe, maybe doing an album, maybe other people would like hearing these. And simultaneously I was um, working as a, um, medical device salesperson in neonatal and pediatric um, uh, departments and hospitals and uh, working alongside nurses and child life specialists. And we were constantly doing clinical studies at the bedside to determine product, product efficacy. And it was on the forefront of my mind to think what clinical studies have been done to determine efficacy of lullabies? Have there been any? And so I discovered a series of them, of clinical studies published in the U.S. and abroad that identified how lullabies produce medicinal outcomes in neonatal and pediatric ICU patients. And that included, you know, reducing heart rate, reducing anxiety and perceptions of pain, um, improving sleep and, and feeding patterns, and even speeding recovery and going home from the hospital sooner. And I just, it blew my mind. I just, I realized that in this, in this song, you know, held so much healing power. And I it began my journey as a medicine singer. And um, I, I continued that study while I was working um, with hospitals um, and joined a palliative care choir um, in New York City for three years, and we sang similar songs, soft acapella songs at the bedside to comfort those on the threshold of living and dying. And it, the experience, again, just giving this, I witnessed, um, you know, the holiness and grace of singing. And I knew altogether that lullabies just held this, this treasure. And I was able to understand, you know, that uh, they encapsulate so much safety and they, and they enca encapsulate so much health and there's, you can break it down. I get pretty passionate about it. I get kind of geek, geeked out about it because I noticed these things like the tender, unique voice of the individual singer and you don't have to be a good singer. Even, you know, the imperfection of a singer is just as intimate and just as useful as a bonding agent, um, as someone with a good voice. Um, you know, the life of the breath that that singer has and is heard by the listener. And even the space, the silence in between each phrase and each word those are all components that tell an individual that I'm holding space for you, you are safe, I am vulnerable with you, and the intimacy and connection there is is profound. And, yeah. 
It's really fascinating to me as someone who's studied sound healing, not to the extent that you have, but, you know, they talk a lot about what to sounds to offer both babies in the womb Mm. and young children. And a lot of the research that I have read focuses on classical music because the there's just like a complexity to it that keeps the brain kind of in a state of development um, is the most simplest way for me to describe what I have read about. But what you're describing is something very different, it sounds like, <clears throat> that it's a bit more of an energy exchange between with intention from the singer? Would you say that that's part of it? Yeah. And, you know, it doesn't have to be so intentional to be powerful. You know, someone that has no idea about sound healing, but that is just wanting to nuzzle up to anyone who they're singing to um, and offer something sweet is really enriching. Yeah, I guess then that's, when I say intentional, I mean like you're singing because you care. It's like there's a loving gift that you are trying to give to someone and that's the intention that feels potent, right? Like sometimes when I do Reiki, I think this isn't Reiki. There's nothing, there's nothing coming out of the sky. It's just that I am caring for this person in the moment. Sorry, Reiki providers. I don't know the truth of what Reiki is, but sometimes I be, I'm in that experience. And I think it's just that I'm like holding this person with this like hug of love and they're receiving that. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And Yeah. So the lullabies, when you started, were they the the lullabies from your grandparents, the, the actual words that, that they had used? Yeah. Um, one of the songs I had to change words to because, you know, tragic, you know, she died of a fever, yada, yada. And I didn't mm. want to really infuse that. Into yeah. Um, and... You know, there there are a couple others, but for the most part, um, yeah, the, the major ones made it to the Lullaby album. Mm-hmm. And um, if I did it again, I probably would choose different songs. But it was where I was, you yeah. know, at the time. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> it sounds beautiful. Um, so then moving on to... The soundscapes, well, I'll let you tell, like, are there parts of your story that feel relevant to connecting dots and how you're, what you were offering and what you were creating has evolved? Hmm. Um, you know, I would say there were work-related experiences that evolved um, my, I would say, like, my resume, but I don't necessarily think that they made a major impact on my own um, evolution as a singer and as a sound healing artist. Um, So not necessarily too, you know, critical to discuss, but I will say um, there were a couple of um, events that happened that were related to um, that emotional evolution 
and I could share those. I think those are those are quite relevant. Um, one being, I was a um, I joined an, another choir. Actually, I, I joined this one before I had joined the Threshold Choir. But this choir um, was a singing group led by the incredibly talented Eva Selena um, at the Jalopy Theater in Brooklyn. And we practiced choral Balkan singing, uh, which is filled with emotion that I just had never experienced or had been introduced to. And um, so one of the impactful moments was I had, I was at home and I was listening to a source recording, a practice recording of one of the tracks that one of the new tracks we were working on. And, um, I remember listening and falling to my knees and beginning to sob because the sound, even though I didn't know it was a Ukrainian song. And even though I didn't know what the words meant, I could feel the deep pain that came through in the singer's voice. And to me, it released a blocked dam, what felt like a blocked dam of emotion to me. I couldn't believe how precise it was in identifying that, oh my God, I have this big well, this wound that I have not, I didn't know existed. And I, I, that's from that experience, I began to understand how song helps us uncover and unlock these buried hurts and these buried traumas and brings to the forefronts of our minds, alerts our conscious minds to a wound that needs tending to, just like uh, the wound on our bodies, you know, a physical wound. Um, and so that was a pretty um, impactful moment. And so were you, let me just understand, were you singing the song at the time or you were listening to it? I was just listening to it. Wow. Yeah. And the song still to this day just gives me the total goosebumps. So, yeah, that was a big, that was a big shift for me. And then um, Balkan singing in general, from a style standpoint, helped, um, from a deprogramming standpoint, like conditioned mind of like, I should not be heard. I should not take up space because the, it's called the Pajela. It's a folk song in Corsica. Uh, you go on and on and on with the song. It, <laughs> it's improvised. It is intuitive. The singers work with each other. There's a, you know, a movement and a flow and it ends when it feels right. Like there's no, this is the end of the song. And for my, you know, exposure, what I believed to be the right way to create a song, it just totally dispelled that myth. And it was very healing for me because I then began to feel more comfortable taking up space singing, holding my own space as a singer. And if people wanted to leave, they could, but people stay, you know? So I think that was pretty transformative and I, and I never forgot it. And then lastly, the experience that I had with my dad 
that I shared earlier um, was definitely uh, the route that offered relief to purge all of this grief that just felt like new grief and old grief. And I was just full of grief. So um, that was absolutely in a relevant component to this all. And so when you started making the soundscapes, was it a personal process for you? Or was it done in sort of the, the idea of I'm creating this for somebody specific out there? Or was it both? Well, it was, so it was definitely not a linear process. And it felt like I had to piece together what was happening like way after the fact, because it just felt like I had a hodgepodge of, of like things happening that didn't really seem to be chronological. Um, but what I did was begin as a therapeutic process. And, and really it was just me using a looper and I, I was giving my, myself permission to go wherever my voice needed to go. I didn't want to give it, I couldn't confine it to, or tell it a box to fit in. Um, and I needed it to be simple and accessible, you know, anything complex, it was just putting too much pressure on myself. And, and so, um, I create, I, created sounds that matched the energy of emotion that I was feeling. And it became my healing ritual. Um, yeah, I don't know if I answered your question fully. Yeah, it's funny too, because I'm taking a class right now on a, a version of somatic work. Mm. And um so often the instructor talks about when you feel an emotion sort of in the heart space or the shoulders, like in the upper part of the body, the next logical place to move it is through sound and to create the sound of that emotion. Mm. Um, as a way of, his philosophy is it's a way of expanding your capacity for kind of holding that emotion. It's not just about releasing it, which is a whole other story, but it's interesting to hear um, about your personal experience with that and how it is, is related to your own personal experience of emotions. Yeah. And it's hard to even, if I reflect back thinking where, was the, where was the grief coming from? You know, like what part of the body without knowing, I mean, I've, I've studied chakras, so I understand where emotional, you know, these kinds of emotions are typically stored. And so I could say, oh, I think, you know, maybe it was in the second chakra, the first chakra, even the root, you know, where I didn't have that connection with my father. Um, but somatically I, I feel like it I was too I was too unhinged <laughs> to like mm -hmm. really know yeah where it was coming from. Yeah. 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 And I think it's a it is a hard practice, especially in the kind of world that we live in where we're not taught to really be in our bodies mm -hmm. as much and to yeah. notice our sensations in our bodies. So totally. So talking about the soundscapes, you at this point are, are creating them sort of aligned with 
different and en- specific energies are they still connected to emotions because like the titles of them are of i guess you know like setna which by the way is like the everyone's favorite gong is the setna gong oh, no <laughs> yeah <laughs> um <laughs> hermes you know like so they to me they don't they don't immediately uh go towards a specific emotion, but I'd be curious to know how you're now creating them and what is the essence of them that you are putting out into the world with them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So this was also um, an interesting experience. And I really, you know, at the time I didn't know that it was this co-creation process. And I felt like, I feel like it, it, it became one. Like at first it was just like, she's got a purge, you know, like, give her whatever, you know, like get it out. And then it was like, wait a second, like, Hey, while you're in this space, there's other things going on. If, if you want to just pay attention, you know, it's kind of like a nudge. Like I was just like, I felt like I was being nudged. And then, um, and, and then it became like sort of this unlocking, like a, like a gateway of information that I could access if I wanted to, or I could just keep continuing to just, you know, produce what came up based on emotion. But it felt, it felt like I had the capacity to, whereas I didn't have the capacity to write words of songs, you know. So I just followed what I had the capacity to do. And um, I guess someone some would say this is considered a channeled experience, um, if that's you know a label to call it. But I felt feelings, nudges, urges, a new pathway opening, um, and it motivated me to step forward because I could, because it felt accessible. So after I did the second, when when I did the second track, um, I was simultaneously studying astrology. um, And I began to recognize characteristics, planetary characteristics in the emotional energies of the song. And um, so after I began each track, I would tune in and I'd begin to identify which planets energies were coming through by matching the quality of the sound with the characteristic of the planetary body. And it would, like, match up really well. And I was like, okay, you know, that, I guess I'm going to just do this. It, it, it didn't feel like, um, it felt very accessible. So I was like, why, why hold back on that? Just create it and just put it out there. So Sedna is a good example I felt like to discuss first because it is probably out of the collection of the songs on this album the most visceral in terms of pain that you can hear and grief. And so it feels like a good example in that it's more blatant. Um, But, you know, being influenced by the energies of Sedna, Sedna is um, a, a planetary body in the... Um, in our solar system, but it also has been is named after the great Inuit goddess of the deep sea. And her story is incredibly tragic, incredibly gutting and painful, but 
as a goddess, she then transforms the um, pain and suffering that she went to and demands of those who love her the responsibility of going inward and finding that deep pain within and and um, addressing it, essentially. And um, what is it called when you... Um, not relinquish, but it's, um, you, what I'm trying to think of the surrender to it, you know, and, and her, her process really is what I think a lot of folks call shadow work, you know, um, hearing the sounds of someone accessing painful parts of them also is sort of this like permissive experience too which is what I've found with Sedna, the song Sedna. So in, in that piece of work is wraps up those, those things. I, I feel. So just so that I'm kind of, um, I guess, understanding your process a little bit, mm-hmm. you are studying astrology and, you're deep in the themes of these different planetary beings and their stories and relationships to other stories. And through that, you are then allowing the sound to come out, however it is coming out of you. Is yeah. that what I'm gathering? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and the sound, you know, it's been kind of like my personal experience where it's like, okay, I'm going to go over here and do this. But then when I bring it back, we'll talk about how it's our collaboration kind of thing. I don't know how to, like when I sing and when I create, I'm not checking into the planets, I guess. I'm checking into my body. I'm checking into what I need to express, what I feel has to come out. And sometimes I feel like I'm being nudged, like go record. You've got stuff, like there's people in the waiting room or like, you know, there's things in the waiting room like that want to come through and so it seems like a private experience because it comes through my felt experiences. But then I go back and I co- discuss. Well, it sounds like a good time for us to listen to a little bit of um, your track, Setna. Darling's song Sedna from her recent album Into the Deep, which you can find um, in various places to listen to the whole track. 
Her website is lisamariedarling.com, and she's also on Spotify, Bandcamp, SoundCloud, and YouTube. So check the various places that you look for music, and um, and you can enjoy the entirety of the sounds of Sedna. Okay, so let's let's talk about some of the other soundscapes that you have. Um, one of them that you sent to me is Venzo. I have never heard that before. What can you tell me about Venzo? So Venzo is, um, was a track that came through, um, when there's some personal, um, influence in there, um, as well. I was having, um, a struggle with, uh, reproductive um issues um, for um and and depression and grief around that and um so in that process of grieving and feeling connected to being a mother but not becoming a mother um this song came out it was like i I, I gave birth to this song instead of a baby. Um, and what I found so magical about Venzo was that it works with Venus. Um, and Venus is the divine feminine Venus energy, you know, um, working with love and beauty. And this track to me was all of that, but it also wove in my grief and it wove in the need to transform that grief into something else, a softening beauty. And um, so in the creation of this song and working with Venus, I was able to find an outlet to... um, to you know channel this pain and also create something that wasn't going to go away you know i was able to bring my child to life even though you know the circumstances were otherwise so um that's what benzo is about thank you for sharing that i'm so sorry to hear about the struggles with fertility we can talk about that offline mm-hmm. <laughs> i have my own my own journey mm-hmm. um so then you say venzo is related to venus is it a, it's is it the same thing with a different name no it's just there's a relationship there um i there i named it venzo because that song that track works with the energies and the characteristics of of venus okay and so it's it's interwoven it's like okay i is a collaboration essentially got it got it well let's let's take a listen to venzo now
one of the other tracks that you sent to me, Lisa, is Satu. Am I saying that right? I'm going to mispronounce all of these words. <laughs> um, I, I pronounce it Satu, but it, it, I don't know why. <laughs> it, it looks like a, almost like a relationship to Saturn. What is Satu? Well, and that's the crazy thing. I named it Satu because of family influences that were coming through. Um, and at the time, the name of the name Satu was the name of a family member's boat. And, um, so that I, I felt his presence very much so during the recording of this track. And it felt like a very disciplined, masculine energy that was coming through. And as I began to sit and work with, again, going back to the planetary energies, Saturn anchors us in these attributes of commitment, self-control, discipline. And these are all things that, you know, Saturn gets a bad rap for because, you know, it can be a difficult energy, but it's also really important and critical for many, in many ways. And so I know that, you know, it's important to honor as well. And that's where Satu came from. Yeah, that's interesting to me. <clears throat> Saturn as a Capricorn mm. and I, when I went to India, I saw an astrologer there and he wanted me to chant a, a mantra to Saturn. And, um, and I kind of always felt like I don't have a problem with discipline. Like I was very focused and, you know, I felt like I had strong Saturn energy. So it was interesting. Yeah. Um, but story for another day, I ended up getting a Saturn gong because he was like, you'll never find a husband unless you chant a Saturn. <laughs> And I eventually got a Saturn gong and then I met my husband like two weeks later. So I was like, no, oh, he was right. right. <laughs> that is wild. Yeah. Wow. So Saturn is your friend. Um, yeah. Yeah. Saturn gets a bad rap, but yeah. Saturn's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Great. <laughs> Let's listen to Satu. Last but not least, the track that you sent me was is uh, titled Hermes, mm -hmm. and I, I'm probably changing the way I've said that three times. Um, where, what was, what drew you to this? What drew you to Hermes? 
Um, so this was <clears throat> very close to the end of recording the album, and it was it was um, a long process. It took two and a half years for me to record this album, and at the time I was finishing up the recording, my I was recording in my attic um, because of just space and sound, um, and it was. August or July and it was hotter it was so hot and I was tired and I was sweaty and I was over it you know and I this song came through and it was like hey one you're almost done two like you gotta just surrender like you, this, this is your ego. Like you, you have to fight hard for things that you want. You know, you got to get through this. And the energy of that song is not extra soft, but it's nurturing enough. And it definitely feels supportive. And to me, it, it was like, all right, I got you, but you got to surrender. You got to give up your ego and you got to let go of this fight that you have because it's not going to help you get through this album. And so I felt like I was like having a lived experience of what the energies were helping me move through. And, um, so when I looked and did some research and I, and I heard the song and there's, there's a re repetitive, um, phrase that's like two, three, four, I think it does it like four times. And when I was recording, I was like, really again, again, like this seems a little repetitive, but it made more sense to me after I kept listening to it. And I thought like, they're just, you need to like, it's not easy to surrender. So you just got to keep repeating sometimes to let go and that's what the song to me was doing and I started to examine like which what where was this coming from which planets would be involved or was communicating and Mercury was what came through and Mercury um, is known in Greek mythology as Hermes and Hermes is a messenger for divine communication and the protector, uh, the protective conductor to other worlds. And is, it keeps the spirit safe as it moves through transition and it surrenders the ego so that it can let go of what no longer serves and move through transition safely. And that's what the song is. Wow. The whole concept of surrender is so uh, powerful to me. You know, it's a theme in my own life that I have struggled with. And it's really interesting to hear how you're, you say that it's like the repetition of something in a way. It's like, it's like almost like you have to keep practicing it and repeating it over and over again because we as humans i think not to not to speak for all of humanity but 
there is this notion of being in control of our lives and mm-hmm. manifesting and visualizing and doing. And I still struggle to this day about what is the balance between that mm-hmm. and then this idea of surrender. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if there's anything else that you've experienced or or can share about your relationship to surrender. I mean, (laughs) I think, um, (laughs) you know, a survival mechanism is to not surrender. You know, we are programmed in especially, you know, a a toxic society, you know, patriarchal society to keep going, to not stop. And if you do surrender, it is looked as weak. It is looked as powerless or, you know, um, dangerous even. Um, and so I think I'm still working with it, you know, un- undoing and, and reprogramming. And it's interesting to me just kind of thinking about it in contrast to Saturn. It feels like Saturn is the opposite of surrender in a way. Mm. Um, although maybe you could look at it as Saturn is that external force can be that external force that if you do surrender, it is the thing that can move you if you surrender to it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there's a time and a place to be moving with Saturn energy and to really, you know, show up for what it is that you want and work hard towards it. You know, we need to do that at times. And, um, in that, you know, that's just as there's this ebb and flow, you know, there's the surrender and then there's the growth and, and we need to go with the flow of both. And so when you say you were fighting the, against your ego in a way working on this album mm-hmm. and it kind of came to this crescendo or culminating point recording Hermes what was it was it a idea of like it has to be perfect in some way like what were what were you fighting against was it just the heat and the conditions of recording <laughs> I think so yeah and I, I, I also think like I just um oh I had to like I just remember now. I had to teach myself how to use a new tool. Like this, I had this five looper station that I that I bought um, as an upgrade to the one looper that I used, so that I could create. Like I was talking about the waiting room, you know. Yeah. If I had more loops, that I I could work on other things while I was still, you know, building and composing one track and so i got this looper and i had to teach myself how to use this looper i had to teach myself how to um you know record up in in my attic and and just the learning curves of everything in the heat with technology and singing and composing and channeling it just i wanted to stop Like, I wanted to enjoy my summer. (laughs) But Saturn came in and was like, no, no. (laughs) Yeah, Saturn was like, yeah, we're not going to have that happen. But by the time Hermes came along, it was like, 
You know, Saturn was already recorded. Yeah. The work was done. <laughs> well, let's listen to her maze now. As somebody who is, uh, sound is extremely important to me. I mean, there have been times on this show where I have cried because of, <laughs> I'm going to cry now because people have sang or I've, we've listened to certain music. I play certain music and I just, the it moves me so much. So I, I relate to sound um, in a very profound way, but I'd be curious to know why sound is important to you. Hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, there were a couple of times even talking about, you know, the Ukrainian song that Eva was singing. I, it still chokes me up to this day. Um, sound is so, for me personally, um, on my journey as a, I would call myself a practitioner now, um, has been spiritually healing for me um, in that, you know, when I was in a place in my life where my spirit was so buried by years of and layers of disconnection and trauma. The only thing that was tethered to it was sound. And it managed to be maintained throughout all of the things that were happening around me that were severing from my from my being. So I find it just like is so profound in that way and it continues to be a most sacred tool for me it's interesting because it almost feels like it's both grounding but it's also supremely like expansive and otherworldly and it's interesting i've never really thought of it that way about how it's able to hold all of that oh yeah Absolutely. I haven't either thought about it that way, but it does have this omnipresent capability, you know, and um, yeah, as, as earth beings, you know, I think that um, 
sound, the sound of human voice, the human voice is like one of the most influential that, uh, that we have. And, um, so I am, you know, I'm a, such a supporter of sound and also like the subset of the voice, you know, yeah, as being this, this incredible transformative tool. Yeah. And, um, you know, I would say sound to me on a larger level. Um, I have seen this most incredible experience where people have expressed to me that by listening to this kind of work, they've been able to um, express, use their voice and express themselves in a way that they never have before without um, you know, holding back. And I find that to be, I mean, that's not nothing. That's, that's so transformative. And especially in, um, you know, we're working against unpacking and reconditioning all of this collective trauma from societies that have just wreaked havoc on our mental, emotional well-being, you know, and spiritual well-being. And so, and I think, sound is one of the most beautiful ways to do that and effective, you know, and we're, you know, we're coming from societies that um, don't want us, I I believe, don't want us to necessarily know the power and influence of some of these more um, holistic modalities because it takes away from profits that can be made and um, it's easy to dismiss it's easy to sort of discredit and to consider it woo-woo you know and also there's a lot of um, you know a lot of over you know, I, I don't know what the word is but you know, it's being over marketed I guess is the is what I'm looking for and that and that can kind of take it in another direction. So there's like this happy, there's like a space in the middle where it can actually rationally, functionally be this otherworldly transformative tool. Yeah, I've said this a couple of times on the radio show for regular listeners. They're probably like, oh, we already heard that, Teresa. But I, when I studied Kundalini Yoga, I am convinced that the most profound thing that impacted me was chanting, was making sound. It was something that, I mean, maybe it's unique to me, right? Because I am somebody who resonates with sound and to make sound with my voice on a regular basis was just like the most important thing for me to experience. Um, But I always, I noticed, at least when I was teaching, I don't teach it really anymore. When I was teaching and I would see folks come in and there was a lot of, there was a lot of reservation about creating sound. Mm. And, And I can't help but think that if people can really let go, right, surrender the ego or, or whatever traumas might be held inside that, I guess, make it hard for people to make sound, to be seen in that sense. Mm-hmm. Um, I, to me, I just feel like it's it's one of the most profound healing tools that we have. And it's right there. Like you talk about, you know, there's a sacredness to it. It doesn't have to be some big, you know, money-making thing or whatever. Um, <clears throat> there's a real sacredness to it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, 
I think um, it's it's one of those it's it's one of those um, head scratchers where it seems so simple that you know I think we overcomplicate things too, and we think things need to be more complex to be so effective, because maybe we're afraid of the vulnerability and the intimacy that comes from it. You know, maybe there's other, it's easy to rationalize away the emotional benefit. And, and that's actually something that I did um, make a note of. Um, it's just that, um, that, that concept is like, it's easy to rationalize um, that we've numbed our minds to very emotional pain, yeah. you know, and that, we we haven't been allowed to feel and 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 being emotional is you know looked down upon and um, you know we're forced to develop thick skin and you know put on pull up your bootstraps or whatever that phrase is and you know it's like no wonder none of us feel safe enough to make sound yeah and to to make sound that feels yeah I think it's important just to recall some points that you made throughout our conversation, right? About the lullabies and how it doesn't have to be a perfect voice in order for it to be transformative and healing Mm -hmm. and how it doesn't have to have words. Mm -hmm. It can just be whatever wants to come out of you. And I think that those two elements perhaps can make it more accessible to folks if they can remember that. Well, to change gears <laughs> abruptly, <laughs> uh, but there is one part of your kind of background that I'm, I'd am i be curious to talk about. Uh, there, I think my somebody gave me a book once upon a time about sound in your house. I forget the, I forget the name of the book, but it's really about being aware of the sounds that you are creating in your home when you share a home with other people, like what is potentially damaging sounds, just sound pollution outside in nature, how it impacts animals, etc. So I know that you have some advocacy work around noise pollution. Yeah. And I'd be curious to know how that came about, why it was important to you, and what you can share with folks to help educate. Mm. Yeah, this was totally out of necessity. <laughs> you know, I think I have a high tolerance of um, irritating noises because I've learned to check out <laughs> so much. But that's not a good habit either. But that, you know, that being said, this was um, not ignorable. Like, I, I couldn't sleep at night. Um, what I discovered at home was during the winter months behind my house is a lot that is where a huge salt storage warehouse is and it is the home of all the salt that goes out onto all of the expressways in the state and so um what I discovered was that there was this loud piercing backup beeper noise that was ongoing throughout the night, every single night in the winter from November to April. And I couldn't believe it. I, um, 
I went through a couple of nights of it and think, thinking, you know, this is just like some temporary emergency situation. But it was really indeed just how everyone had lived the last 70 years in my neighborhood. That's incredible. Since the facility was was built and my home is built in 1950. And so I, um, I went to the... Um, DOT, it was the Department of Transportation, and I um, asked them, you know, like, what's up with that? And they were like, oh, this is how it's always been. And I said, has never, no one's ever said anything? And they said, no, you know, we're getting accolades for the good work that we're doing. You know, we're not going to change anything. And I was like, oh, what (laughs) in the hell do I do? Heck, do I do? You know, this is too much. This is insane. So altogether, it took a, it was a two-year process. And I um, was pretty desperate, like looking around, trying to figure out how to, how, what to do. A friend suggested I reach out to kingstoncitizens.org. And um, it's a, I'm not sure if your listeners know, but I can just say it's a local nonpartisan citizen-centered organization. And Rebecca Martin is such a tremendous and kind, generous resource and um, helped guide me through the process of understanding the local government here. And, you know, she introduced me to my aldermen, made some connections and was just such a a tremendous support and resource. Um, I also did my own research and reached out to noise advocates um, in the country, there's an organization called noisefree.org that has a lot of material and is very helpful in offering um, resources if anyone needs needs to reach out. Um, I did learn from them that OSHA has all approved alternatives to the backup beepers that come on equipment. And the only reason why they exist is because that's how they are shipped from man- manufacturer to the site. Um, but there were, they were pre-installed, but there were indeed options that could be switched out. And so I, of course, being, you know, one that likes clinical data, um, looked up the clinical data to, um, determine, like discover links between noise and the erosion of health. And I, you know, kept pushing and pushing and pushing. And finally I, I wrote a petition and it was pretty compelling with the solution. And I went around the neighborhood with my neighbor and we got 40 signatures with the alderman and the county legislator. And the county legislator then was able to escalate it to the assemblyman's office in Albany, who then went to the DOT and the DOT was like, okay. And they agreed to pilot a new alternative backup beeper. And it's really this kind of like, like very it's like i don't know it is the most it gives me a lot of pleasure to hear that sound in comparison to what it was so i'm very pleased with the outcome but they did this pilot and they approved it and then approved it at 60 locations across the state so it turned incredible pretty cool yeah outcome Yeah, I think it's so incredible, not only just for the noise pollution aspect of it, 
I mean, it really opens up a whole can of worms when you think about what some conditions some people live under, right, as it relates to noise pollution. But also just a story about how you had the, you were empowered um, to do something to make a major change, not only in your neighborhood, but that has impacted now so many other people, which sometimes can feel, right, we can feel as citizens like we don't have that kind of power, and so I think it's a super important story to tell. And I'm so glad there was a happy ending. Yeah, me too. <laughs> and, you know, it kind of it hit that nerve where you just, it kind of unhinged me too. So I, I like, didn't care if I was an annoying squeaky wheel because yeah. I, I was like, you don't know what this is like, yeah. you know. And, and, I, and it, this situation is not even nearly as bad as, as what other people live in. And so I, um, I do feel grateful that the outcome was, was what it is and that I was able to, you know, make that change. Were your other neighbors, did they come on board easily? Did it take any convincing of folks? Oh yeah. You know, (laughs) People were uncomfortable with it. They're like, "What are you doing? Why are you rocking the boat?" Yeah, and um, you know, people have lived here for a really long time, and and they don't, they become conditioned to it. Some folks told me, you know, oh, it tells me that there's snow coming, and I'm like, can you just check the weather report? Like, why do you have to have the backup? Fever? You know. There, the, people were sweet about it, but they didn't want. Some people didn't want me to do anything, and then others were really encouraging, and others were neutral. So yeah. it was kind of all over the board. Yeah, you know? yeah. Well, kudos to you for making it happen. Thank you. Thank you. So before I let you go, wait, let's let's talk about where people can find your work. Obviously, you, your website is a resource where people can uh, connect with you and everything that you offer. And, but I know that you have, um, are you on, what are you on insight timer? What are you on one of these? I should know this before I ask you the question, but, um, Mm -hmm. and I'll just say your website, obviously it'll be linked to in the show notes for everyone, but it is lisamariedarling.com. So you can find it if you're just listening and you don't go back to the show notes, that is the website, lisamariedarling.com. So where else can folks find you and what's what's going on? Awesome. Thank you. Um, so what I am working on now is um, on June 4th, there'll be an opening uh, of a new um, gallery, art gallery called Headstone Gallery on Hurley Avenue. And I'm not sure if I said June 4th, but that is the opening day. And they have an opening exhibit displaying massive planetary charcoal drawings by an artist named Marina Friedman. And they've asked to um, me, me to accompany with a soundscape. And so that is coming up and I'm thrilled to be a part of that. Um, I'm also, like you said, um, on Inside Timer, I offered these soundscape journeys um, they are live stream and um, about three days a week I'm conducting them, so about 12 a month. And um, on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays at this point. And they're free, donation-based. Um, 
I'd also like to, um, I'm planning on hosting live sound events in the community, um, locally, and in discussion with folks who host wellness events and have facilities that center around work with alternative medicines or holistic medicine. Um, so I'm looking towards that and for more opportunities as well. Um, and I'm also um, hoping to be selected as an event for O Positive, which will come up in October. So nice. those are some of the things I have on the on the dashboard. <laughs> Wonderful. Wonderful. Did you apply as a musician for O Positive? Um, I'm applying. Or as a wellness practitioner. I believe it's going to be under the category of wellness practitioner. Okay. okay. I'm, 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 I believe so. Um, just so folks know where to find you and how to find you. Because you'll get selected. Wow. It would be a very wonderful opportunity. Well, I want to thank you, Lisa, so much for making time to come on the show and obviously for all of the beauty and healing that you're putting out in the world. We need it now more than ever. Perhaps that's a fair statement, but I, we definitely need it now <laughs> in a big way. I mean, holistic medicine to me is just where it's, yeah, we really do. Bye. Thank you. Thanks for saying that. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. It's been such a treat and an honor, and I am sad it's done. <laughs> well, we can always have you back when you have other things going on. Thank you. I can be honored. That was Lisa Marie Darling, lisamariedarling.com, where you can uh, find out all the information about her upcoming event as she mentions uh, opening June 4th at Headstone Gallery. I'll link to all of this in the show notes of course so that you can find this information. Alrighty friends. Thought I would mention that I had the honor of covering for Corey Nakasue yesterday. She hosts the weekly show here on Radio Kingston, The Cosmic Dispatch, Sundays at four, and she was out, so I covered for her. And I welcomed to the show Lorelai Kood, otherwise known as the Astrology, or maybe that's what her work is called. Anyways, her website, myjewishstars.com, is where you can find information about her. But you should listen to Corey's show, The Cosmic Dispatch, because these folks are real astrologers, I guess I should say. If you're into astrology, you should listen to that. Uh, Lorelai was really interesting to have a conversation with her. She really focuses on the interplay relationship between Jewish history and religion and philosophies and astrology and it was it was fun to kind of talk about how these things got lost along the way I mean it's not fun but to to learn about it and um, yeah so it was a it was a good conversation Lorelai actually does the local horoscopes for our beloved chronogram magazine and so you may know her name from that the uh the new moon is coming up on may 30th which is officially next monday uh 
and uh, but it's early in the morning on Monday. I think it's at like 7.30 a.m. our time in here in New York, in Kingston. And so I wanted to get you in the spirit of the new moon by sharing from uh, Tanaz's Forever Conscious report on the moon, which is my usual go-to. It's always where I start kind of checking in on what she has to say, what resonates with me and what does not. Um, I'm doing a new moon sound bath on Sunday. It's at my house in the barn. It's by donation. So if you're curious and want to know more or want to come out, uh, send me an email. Find me somewhere. I'm out there. Pretty easy to find. But uh, so I will be sinking into some of these words and kind of tuning into what else is going on and bringing that into the sound bath. So this is what Tanaz has to say. On May 30th, the Gemini new moon closes the eclipse portal bringing an end to eclipse season. Eclipse season is always a highly transformative time. Beginning back in April 2022, this set of eclipses likely brought change, transformation, and new information to work with. Whatever manifested, eclipses always put us where we need to be, even if it doesn't quite feel like it at first. They are known for bringing faded events and situations that are designed to boost our level of consciousness, often quite quickly. No matter where we stand after these eclipses, the Gemini new moon will be like a gentle hand, guiding us to digest all the energies that have come our way. The first new moon after eclipse season is always an important one as it brings a dose of fresh energy and fresh perspective, allowing us to integrate all that has unfolded and feel more confident when it comes to taking our next steps forward. While this fresh energy from the Gemini new moon will be welcomed, there is some mentally foggy energy stirring at this time cautioning us to move slowly and be patient. While we may feel some ease as we settle on new ground, the universe is asking us to take it easy. This mentally foggy energy partially comes from Mercury. (laughs) Sometimes I just wonder what words come out of my mouth. Mercury. <laughs> Sorry. When I used to do audiobook recordings, I'd get like stuck on a word even though I know how to pronounce it, but something would just misfire in my brain. Okay, let's start that sentence over. This mentally foggy energy partially comes from Mercury, which is the ruling planet of Gemini and is currently in retrograde. As Gemini's ruler, Mercury takes on an even greater influence under this new moon. What did Mercury, um, what, Lisa, my guest this today, was connecting it to Hermes, right? Yes. I think I may remember that correctly. Okay. Too much information in my brain. In the days surrounding the new moon, give yourself permission to take your time and not rush into any decisions with haste. The universe is slowly slowing things down so you can take your time, so you can catch your breath and make the best decision moving forward. That sounds nice. If the mentally foggy energy rolling in under this new moon starts to feel uncomfortable, focusing on clearing your mind, 
removing obsessive or repetitive thinking, and bringing your awareness to the present. Ooh, that sounds like a good theme for my sound bath. Try to keep your mind clear of clutter, and it will be easier to navigate some of this foggy energy. Mercury is set to leave retrograde on June 3rd, and although it will need some time to return to its former strength and speed, things should start feeling clearer in the weeks that follow. Under the Gemini new moon, there is also a softer, more gentle energy floating by, which is worth tapping into, and that is the energy of Chariklo. Ooh, Chariklo. I've never heard of you. Maybe that's my sound bath theme. Chariklo is known as the asteroid of spirit medicine. It represents returning to the earth for spiritual healing and remembering that we are an intrinsic part of life on this planet. Chariklo is a very gentle energy that can help to facilitate and bring ease to any healing journeys we have been on. It reminds us to turn to nature for support and assistance. Whether this is simply taking a walk in the park or sourcing herbal teas and tinctures that support your body. Chariklo also helps us to heal on a spiritual level, reminding us of the power that comes when we nurture not just our body, but also our soul. Being a Gemini new moon, this energy feels quite fitting as Gemini is represented by the twins. One twin is mortal and the other is immortal, reminding us of these two sides of our being. We all have a body and we all have a soul, and it is often when they are working together that we feel our best. Bringing harmony to our body and soul is an energy current that is that this Gemini new moon can help us with. If you want to bring more harmony between these two sides of your being, Write down what your human side feels and what your soul side feels. And then set an intention to bring healing in unison to both of these sides. Trust that the universe will help you build a bridge that both your human and soul side can walk towards. Another sweet yet subtle energy that surrounds this Gemini new moon is Aldebaran, a royal star that has been highly revered by many ancient cultures around the world. At this, time of, at this time of this new moon, both the sun and moon will be conjunct Aldebaran. Aldebaran carries the energy of success, honor, and rewards, giving this new moon a lucky glow. Aldebaran is also believed to be home to the Silver Gate Portal. Mm, you can read more of that via the link on Tanaz's website. I'm going to link to this in the show notes for you so that you can, you can further explore after the heavy energies of eclipse season, the Gemini new moon will feel much quieter and should bring a softening. While this new moon won't bring total clarity, it does remind us to be patient, to move slowly, and to focus on the gentler and more subtle aspects of our healing journey. If life is still feeling hectic after the eclipse transformations, you know that this new moon brings a reminder that it is okay to take your time to process, digest, and reflect. Don't feel like you need to get swept up in any frantic or quick-paced energy. Instead, put the brakes on, take a few steps back, and give yourself plenty of time and space. Extra self-care under this new moon could also involve embracing herbal remedies and teas. Sip on some chamomile, spray your pillow with lavender, and just keep things gentle, 
quiet and soft. Doesn't that sound lovely? Thank you, Tanaz, for your moon report. Again, that's foreverconscious.com. I'm linking to it in the show notes so that you can further explore her wisdom. They also, she is a co-contributor who does a weekly tarot reading. Lots of cool stuff on her website. That is the show for today, folks. Just a reminder... The Circle Creative Collective ladies who were on the show last week have their Bloom event happening this Saturday at the Stone Ridge Orchard. You can find that in all the details for that in my show from last week. Hiccups came just in time for me to end the show. Thank you to Lisa Marie Darling for being my guest today and for all of her cool magical healing work. Her music can be found uh, at the opening at the Headstone Gallery uh, beginning June 4th. Her, her soundscapes, I should probably say. And thank you, of course, to Shauna Falana for our theme music for the show. Shauna and Mike are playing this Friday at Opus 40. It's, I think, by donation. You just have to RSVP. Hopefully the weather cooperates for all these cool things happening this weekend. That's Friday, Opus 40, Shauna and Mike sing the hits. And thank you, of course, to Ian Seda for engineering the show today. Uh, Let's see, Ida will be coming up next with the Heavy Light Show. A quick plug, I listened to Morgan Taylor's uh, Radio Cake yesterday such a fun show i hadn't really listened to it give it a check out give it a listen until next week friends love yourself and uplift one another ciao It is coming up on 1 p.m. You're listening to AM 1490, FM 1079, WKNY Kingston. We're live online, RadioKingston.org. It's Monday, and coming up next, Teresa Widman is here with us with I Want What She Has. Hello there. Happy Moon Day, Warren. Happy Monday, Moon Day to you, and what a beautiful day it is after that, uh, well, I call it a torturous weekend. (laughs) I'm not a fan of that type of weather, especially this early in the season. Yeah, I I wasn't ready for it. Um, I found myself using the air conditioning, driving around in the car a lot. And uh, I don't want to live like that. I don't want to live in air conditioning. I was actually doing some research for something and was realizing that um, it kind of is a luxury and that a lot of other countries don't actually use it that often. And I didn't realize that. I mean, I've traveled in Europe... But maybe not in the... Well, no, I was in Spain. It had a really bad air conditioner in one place we stayed in. I don't know, but it's, is it a, an American thing that we get used to air conditioning? I, I know growing up, we never had air conditioning. My mom and dad didn't want it. And we, we, were, we got used to the way it was. It was right, fine. Right. But I would much rather live in the fresh, crisp, low humidity than, <laughs> than air conditioning, of course. But unfortunately, we have to you know, use it when it gets really warm yeah 
or sit in the pool, I was like, maybe I'll get a kiddie pool and put it in my backyard. Yeah, even a kiddie pool works, right? <laughs> it's great. Yeah, I, I remember, you know, as I was as a kid, we'd go up to uh, to Cape Cod to Maine in the summer, and it, it didn't matter how hot it was; you were in the water all the time. Exactly. It's so nice, right? But today, we don't need to put on that air conditioner, do we? No, we don't. It's a beautiful day outside. It's very refreshing. So I thought we'd talk about something that might be dear to your heart, because I think, Teresa, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you probably spend a bit of time in the kitchen. I think you're a pretty good cook. <laughs> I just have that feeling. Uh, uh, um, the, there, that's debatable. Uh, actually, I didn't cook a, for, for a long time. It was really during the pandemic mm-hmm. that I started cooking more. I would always be kind of rushing and eating snack food. Oh, and you? Yeah. Oh. And the pandemic really helped me to slow down. Not that I didn't cook before that, but I just didn't cook as much as I do now. Hmm. So so now I can say, yes, that's true about okay. me. Okay. Well, I think of you as someone who kind of moves around and, and discovers healthy foods and, and cooks that way and eats healthy. So I found... Um, A really interesting website, the the young lady that put this together, her name is Cassandra, and she spends a lot of time in the kitchen preparing foods. And she came up with some interesting kitchen facts and tips I thought we'd share with our listeners. Some of these are very interesting. Um, The first one has to do with cutting onions. And when we cut onions, what normally happens? We cry. We cry. (laughs) Would you like to avoid that? Yeah, I don't cut onions. I usually make my husband do it because I can't stop crying. Well, tell your husband to do this. (laughs) To avoid teary eyes, cut them under cold running water. I've heard that, but it's hard when you're chopping little onions Mm -hmm. and dicing them. There's an or here as well. Uh, Wear goggles? There's an alternative, no. (laughs) Or briefly place them in the freezer before cutting them. Oh, okay. Try that. Okay. Yeah. Pass it on to your husband. I will. Um, and if you have that onion scent left on your hands, you know that smelly onion scent when you touch onions? Yes. Do you know how you would remove that? Lemon. Yes. Very good. Okay. I knew you'd <laughs> come up with that one. Fresh lemon juice will do the trick. How about rice? Add raw rice to your salt shaker. That will keep the salt free flowing instead yes. of sticking. Yep. Okay. Always spray your grill with non-stick cooking spray before grilling to avoid sticking. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, in a large shaker, combine six parts of salt, one part pepper for quick and easy seasoning. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of salt, though. I was going to say. <laughs> Not a big fan of, fault, of, of salt. All right. How about this one, Teresa? I can see you doing, I can see you with this. Now, you ready? Yep. Spaghetti, right? Mm-hmm. So you're cooking Love spaghetti. Yes. Okay, I do too. So to test if spaghetti is done correctly, what do you do? Throw it against the wall. Oh my gosh, you got it right. <laughs> How did you know that? <laughs> well, I, I've heard that before. I've never tried it. Have you ever tried it? No, I can't see myself doing that. I mean, I just nibble on it and then... I do too. I, you know, then yeah. I know. But you can either throw it against the wall or the ceiling. And if it sticks, then it's done. I don't actually make a lot of spaghetti I make more penne and those kinds of noodles. I don't think it works the same way. Hmm. I don't think you could throw them against the no, wall. No, I think just spaghetti, spaghetti, yeah. <laughs> not the other various types of pasta. So when frying meat, sprinkle paprika on the meat to make them golden brown. Mm, okay. Okay. You ever scale fish? Is that one of your things? Once upon a time I did when I was a fisher lady. Mm-hmm. Okay, well... 
Scaling a fish is much easier if you rub it with this. What would that be? I don't know. Vinegar. Huh. Yeah. Rub your fish with vinegar. It's much easier to scale. Okay. A few drops of lemon juice added to simmering rice will keep the grains separated. Oh, I never knew that. So they don't stick together. Nothing worse than sticky rice. Unless you want sticky rice, but yes, I agree. True. When baking bread, you bake bread often? Uh, that was another pandemic uh, skill that I learned. I haven't baked it in like a few months, but yeah. Okay, well, here's a tip. When baking bread, a small dish of water in the oven will help keep the crust from getting too hard or brown. Oh, mm-hmm. that's right. I actually did just make bread. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Remind me to show you the picture of it, Warren. Um, Does it taste better than it looks? It actually, it tasted delicious. Okay. Um, I was very surprised because it was a very simple bread recipe and I wasn't expecting it to be so good. Because, uh, you know, in during the pandemic, everyone was on a sourdough bread making kick. And, uh, you know, it's just say how it's so easy to make it. And I always assumed that non-sourdough, like the rising bread, was harder to make, but, but it really wasn't. Mm. So. Okay. So these are interesting kitchen tips from Cassandra, who has a website called Delishably, um, to keep hot oil from splattering. You know, when you're cooking with the hot oil and it splatters, right? Mm-hmm. Sprinkle a little salt or flour in the pan before frying. Oh, okay. Now, this is interesting. Boil all vegetables that grow above the ground without a cover. I wonder why that is. Huh. So, carrots or something that grows underground, potatoes, um, you'll need to cover them. But vegetables that grow above the ground... You should boil them without a cover for some reason. I don't know why. Any thoughts on that? It's so interesting. I don't know. There, I mean, if there's a real like physics aspect to it, when you obviously you keep the cover on, sometimes it, the water can stay hot, more hot. Mm-hmm. And so I wonder if there's just a concern that you would overcook them. I don't know. Possibly. And you don't want to overcook them because you, you kind of cook the nutrients out of them that right, way, right? Right, right. Uh, let's see. Oh, a little vinegar or lemon juice added to potatoes before draining will make them extra white when mashed. Mmm. I don't mind yellow potatoes. fine with me. Yeah. But, <laughs> but Especially if you're going to put cheese in them anyways. Exactly. <laughs> and finally, to deodorize a musty smelling freezer. You ever have a musty smelling freezer? No, I have a musty smelling washer and so Well that might work for this too. You ready? This is so this is so cool. So deodorize a musty smelling freezer. What you do is fill a clean sock with dry coffee grounds and place it inside. Oh, that's interesting. And that will do the trick. I think I have baking soda has always been the go to, but that's yes. good to know. I've never heard of coffee in a clean sock. No. Anyway, a few interesting tips for all of us to enjoy. I love the spaghetti thrown against the wall. I can't believe you knew that. (laughs) (laughs) I was shocked when I read that. (laughs) I can't see myself throwing spaghetti against the wall. (laughs) I think I have tried it, but more just for fun rather than actually testing. I think I still ate it to test it. That's that's the thing. Do you want to eat it after you throw it against the wall? No. No, probably not. Okay, so it's time for I Want What She Has. And on the show today... I am sharing my conversation with Lisa Marie Darling, who is a sound healer of a different sort than I am. And I'm really excited to share her work and her story. Okay, so that's all coming up next.